This is Behind the Benchmark, a bonus episode series where we try to answer questions and explore topics inspired by benchmark data. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Metrics and Chill. In this bonus episode of Behind the Benchmarks, we're going to be talking about Google ads, uh, Google like search ads, and specifically who they work best for. Um, Diving into the benchmarks recently, I noticed something that was really interesting and kind of caught my eye. And that is that the average cost per click, according the the median cost per click, uh, according to our benchmark data, and as always, if you're interested in looking at the raw benchmark data, it's linked in the show notes, um, for B2B is $1.52. For B2C, it is a little cheaper at 99 cents. And then the average cost per conversion is $65.16 for B2B. And again, a little bit cheaper for B2C, it's $39.65. And so this is surprising to me because if you've been in marketing for any number of years, you've probably seen this as well. There's often two really broad responses that you can get regarding the efficacy of Google ads. One group writes them off as competitive, expensive, unsustainable, not a thing to invest in or rely on for the growth of your business. And another group seems to use them to great effect. You know, they rave about them. It's a huge part of their growth strategy. Um, and it's a great way to capture existing demand if you're a fan of the create demand versus capture demand uh, distinction. And so, you know, I look at this and I think, well, they must be for somebody or else obviously, you know, nobody in B2B would use them. And at that price, you know, with, with the median one being $65 uh, per conversion for B2B. Now, obviously it depends a little bit on your targeting and things like that. Um, it seems like most B2B companies, even most SaaS products would see a pretty quick ROI from that. And so I wanted to know if that's the case, why aren't more people using them or what am I missing from this context? So I want to explore, you know, what types of companies, um, should be maybe thinking about using these who had written them off and what kind of ad campaigns or products that they can be effective for. And moreover, like what makes them effective? So I want to help try and help if anyone's listening and you're saying, Hey, we've been thinking about starting Google ads this quarter. I want, hopefully this episode, you'll walk away having kind of a checklist to evaluate if, if you can expect them to be effective for you. So to help me talk through this, uh, I got a strong recommendation for a Google ads expert, Silvio Perez, the founder of Ad Conversion. Thanks for coming on, Silvio. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremiah. I'm so excited to get into it. Uh, Silvio's told me multiple times off mic that uh, that he can talk just like any dimension of Google ads. Uh, and I said, I love people who can nerd out over this. So for those who don't know, uh, you have a pretty sizable LinkedIn following and people should go follow you on LinkedIn. But um, for anyone who doesn't know, what is, give like the 30 second elevator pitch for what you do, for what ad conversion does, who's like a good, what do you do and who's a good fit for you? Yeah. So ad conversion is a digital advertising academy that's launching soon that teaches B2B marketers how to scale paid ads for free, regardless of skill level. Before ad conversion and, and launching this venture, I was at a company called Metadata where I was the head of performance and product innovation. So got to see inside of well over like 150 ad accounts for different B2B clients, helped actually automate and build Google ads into the platform, helped on the programmatic side. So a lot of advising, uh, advising and, and product development there. And then before that, I was a consultant. So just working with different SaaS companies. And um, I have a YouTube channel where I create content. I've published over 50 plus video tutorials, a good amount yeah. of them on Google ads specifically. So a lot of a lot of content there if you guys are interested in learning more about Google ads. And I also wrote a book called Google ads profits where I teach people how to generate their first thousand leads without 
blowing their budget uh, in that book. Okay. So hopefully if you, I mean, hopefully this is an overwhelming amount of trust building it's doing in me as <laughs> you know, for you as an expert here, we'll try and link to a bunch of your stuff in the show notes for anyone who's listening. Um, awesome. So obviously you are the person to talk to about this. Um, so I guess, I guess the way I've got, a, I've got a lot of questions. And before I just pepper you with questions, I guess I want to start with a really broad open-ended one. And that is if I'm reading it right, and I know, you know, B2B is broad, right? Like the, the average revenue per customer is going to be different or per user is going to be different. Um, depending on what industry they're in, you know, maybe SaaS is obviously higher profit margins than something like a, a physical product in B2B, but generally that seemed like that surprised me. My first reaction is $65 seems really low for a conversion. Now, maybe the conversion is for an ebook or for something like that, right? And so maybe it's more like $650 at a 10% conversion rate of an ebook, mm -hmm. right? So I I get that there's nuance here, but I guess help me understand like it seems like done right, most people could see a fairly quick customer like CAC payback or a pretty quick ROI on Google ads. And it's one of, it seems like it's a lot faster. Like I get this impression that companies are willing to invest quite a lot into salaries and agencies for things like organic, let's call it organic demand capture, namely SEO. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like Google ads is a way to accelerate that way faster, test maybe the efficacy that SEO could eventually drive you and whether the juice is worth the squeeze. So what am I missing? Like, why is this so hotly contested? Yeah, I, a couple things. So first, just from what I've seen, you know, out in, in the battlefield, if you will, average cost per conversion can definitely range dramatically for a demo request. I've seen it range on average on the low end, uh, probably as low as like 150. And then on the high end, as high as $1,500, $1,600. So it can vary dramatically. Okay. Average cost per click as well can, it depends on your industry and how com competitive it is. So for example, on the low end, it could be like you mentioned, as low as like a couple dollars. And then on the high end, I've seen it as high as like $87 per click. So I think it's highly contested because a few things. One is cost can vary dramatically based on your industry and, and the keywords you're going after. That's the first one. Second one is also a lot of it is it kind of goes back to like, it's not what you do, but it's how you do it. And there's a lot of details that get lost in the execution and the implementation that leads people to not having a good experience. And then of course, throwing up their hands and saying, Google ads doesn't work. But in terms right. of dollars invested, Google ads paid search is the number one most invested channel across the board. Uh, it dwarfs paid social in comparison in terms of budget and, and allocation. So it definitely works. Uh, a big trap that people fall into when they don't have success with Google ads is most of their budget goes towards acquiring known customers. So like branded search campaigns and not putting that budget on acquiring new customers that had no affiliation with you on what we call non-brand or competitive search campaigns. Okay. Yeah. This makes a ton of sense. And now that, that's something we should talk about because um, I know this, um, the pain behind that beef was made. Uh, I mean, obviously people have been talking about it for a long time, but it went semi-famous. Uh, I, I was following the founders of Basecamp and they were like notorious for saying like, why should we have to pay? You know, because like Google will sell our brand name. Like you type in Basecamp and Asana or Monday.com. Yeah, it's, come up. it's like blackmail, you know, it's like digital blackmail because it's, and you know, it's crazy too. It's not just Google. If uh, 
like G2, Capterra, Software Advice, they also bid on like your category keywords so that they drive traffic to their listing sites. And then oh. people run ads through those listing sites. So it's like another way of, and that's where it can get really competitive depending on your niche. So it's like you have your competitors bidding on your keywords and then you have like these affiliated uh, review sites bidding on your keywords. So it can get pretty crazy fast depending on your industry. Okay, so let's start with, um, well, I'm, before I even get to my list of questions, I'm still going to chase down this line. The like when you're talking about something like you mentioned, fifteen hundred dollars for a demo booked, um, is that that's obviously like uh, way higher, right? Than than like what our benchmark data is showing. You're like you have good insights from a specific industry. What do you? What's causing that? Like that seems abnormally high and unless maybe like i could see i guess if there were like enterprise players in the space that were just blowing up the budget and like outbidding everybody mm -hmm. um that would maybe make sense do you think that's just kind of do you consider that just the cost of doing business in certain industries or categories or do you feel like in part you can bring that price down quite a bit by better resonating with them through messaging, building trust, converting more on the page, um, being more refined in your targeting. Like why, why is it so, why is that so high? I guess. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, usually it's the result of mismanagement. There's a lot to be done to, there's opportunity to bring down the cost. So even if you're in a really, really competitive industry, your baseline average cost per click might be high. But when it comes to ad rank and the way you're showing up on the top of the page or you're nowhere to be seen, it's a combination of not just the max cost per click bid, but also your quality score and then your expected impact of ad extensions. That combined determines where you're placed on the page. So a lot of times people, when I see that they have the higher cost per demos, is they're not doing a good job in terms of the way they executed their campaigns. A lot of your success with Google is actually just from an infrastructure perspective. Like how do you set up the campaigns? Because at the end of the day with Google, relevance is the game you're playing and organization is how you win. So what okay. you want to do is you want to have a strong message match where your keyword, your ad, and your landing page are as closely aligned as possible. Because Google is always going to re reward the advertisers that do that best with a higher quality score, and then you pay less per click in the process. Uh, so that's the one side of the equation. The other side is the landing pages, which does not get enough attention at all. So oftentimes people might have a decent setup, you know, they're driving good quality traffic, but their landing pages completely fail to communicate what they do, why they do it. They're not answering objections. So that's also a big factor on like, why folks are not driving a lower cost per demo. But one thing I will add just on search as a channel is even if the cost per lead is typically higher than paid social, right? Especially if we're comparing like demo versus content, the lead to op creation like is usually much greater uh, in terms of the leads that come through search because of that intent, right? That's somebody mm. that in real time, they're going to Google looking for an answer to their problem you show up, your job is not to fail and like miscommunicate and, and meet their expectation, but that person is much more likely to become an open opportunity than somebody that came in through a conversation ad for a demo request on a on a on the social side of things, right? Because you're not interrupting them. They're they're looking for it in real time and it's like the ultimate form of intent. Got it. Okay. So like it with with the $1,500 example. Um, 
would that be for, it seems to me that like there could be words that maybe are slightly less indicative of high intent. And so you're naturally going to pay a little bit more to get them to convert. So using Databox as an example, right? We don't really, um, we don't really run paid ads. So like, but us as an example, dashboard software, is that something like, is that the type of words that you're seeing sometimes these like $1,500 uh, cost of demos, uh, like, is it really that high of an, like of a, of an intent keyword or would it be something broader, like BI software or something? It could be both. Generally speaking, it's the higher intent keywords are more expensive than the, you know, the lower intent keywords, um, because there's more search volume, there's less competition people, everyone wants to show up for, you know, that high intent keyword. So if you're like a CRM provider, CRM software, right? Like that's the money keyword. So it's going to be the most competitive. So generally speaking, the, the more high intent the keyword is, the more expensive it's going to be from a, an advertising perspective. Um, but also on the flip side of that too, a lot of it is on the management side. So one of the things that people don't realize is you bid on keywords in Google, but you're ultimately paying for search terms, which is what people, when they searched on Google and they clicked your ad, what did they type into the bar? And you might be bidding on the keyword CRM software, but due to the way Google matches your keywords for different queries and triggers your ads, it's getting looser and looser. So this is like where a lot of people in the Google ads community are like pissed <laughs> with Google because they're giving us less control. Um, so oftentimes too, when I see people have a higher cost per demo or cost per conversion, cost per free trial sign up, whatever the case might be, it's not only that they're just because they're bidding on high intent keywords, it's also because they're not actually showing up for the right search terms that they think they are. And that could be a, a factor of they don't have the right negative keywords in place. They don't have the right match types in place. Um, the, the way they set up their audience targeting, their locations, et cetera. Even just little simple things too, like with Google, there's a lot of gotchas, like simple traps people can fall into. For example, like the way you set up your location options, if you have it set to people in or regularly in your targeted location, or if you have it's set to like people who are interested in your targeted location. So you think you're getting in front of people searching in the US, but they're in China and they're searching keywords related to what you're doing. So there's like a lot of little things like that too that can factor into it. But yes, generally speaking, the more higher intent, the more competitive it's going to be, which is going to require a, a greater baseline CPC. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Okay.
So, so far, what we've determined is the benchmark data is low, like for some B2B uh, and SaaS industries, they could expect it to be a lot higher. They're going to pay more for the higher intent. Those higher intent things convert better. Um, and the biggest kind of like way to reduce your cost or where you're going to inflate your cost is in your actual, like all the details of the campaign setup. But then the missed thing that can also be the kicker is the creative or the landing page uh, where people are going. Um, And so I guess like, who do you feel like is a good fit? Like if, if, you know, if a marketing leader at a B2B company, a SaaS company is listening right now, where does your mind go? Like I've, I've never heard anybody. I think like I was trying to think as I was prepping for this, there's everyone talks about it. Like, Oh, they're, you know, they're too expensive and like write it off and don't say why, or Mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, they swear by it, but won't break down like that. They're why it like, it's good for some people. So when someone comes to you and says, I'm interested in running it, does your mind go like budget? Uh, like, what their like you know what their ROI number would be like what their CAC payback would have to be like oh if your CAC payback is below this or above this like what's what's like an equation that someone listening can kind of like go down this checkbox Box. and be like okay if I answer all these questions I'm going to come out with some score or like you know number of like this yeah. is likely or unlikely to work for me I call this the Google Ads sweet spot that's kind of how I describe it so when I love somebody it. Okay. has this criteria they're they're usually a good fit for Google Number one is you're competing in an, an existing category. So people need to already know of your category because then they're going to go search keywords related to it. So if you're operating in a very like new novel space, might not work too well for you because people just don't know that that is a thing to search for. So that's the first one. So people who are operating in a known category usually do best. Simple example on the B2C side, right? Like, you know, you need a dentist, you know, you need a plumber. It's it's kind of a no-brainer. You're going to go to Google and search for it. Same is true in B2B, right? Like, you know, you need a CRM. You know, you need marketing operations tool. You know, you need reporting tools, et cetera. You're going to go search for it. The second thing is cost. So what is your average cost per click? So in terms of figuring this out as like a starting point, if you go to the Google Ads Keyword Planner and you search your dream keyword, I call it your money keyword, that if somebody searched this thing, they would be as close to perfect as possible. You put that in the Keyword Planner. And then take a look at your top of page bid estimate. So Google will tell you your low page bid estimate, the minimum you have to pay, and then your top of page bid estimate. In my experience running Google ads for, I don't even know how many years it's been now, a while, always, always, always it's wrong. Like it's never (laughs) accurate, but in my experience, I I only pay attention to the top of page bid estimate. So I kind of have like a worst case scenario in my mind. Okay. And then I take that number and I multiply it by 20% just to add an additional margin of error. So if Google's telling me that it's $10, I round up to two and I say it's going to actually cost $12 per click as a top of page bid estimate. So that's kind of what I do to get a sense. Um, but what I tell a lot of people when they're thinking about investing in a new channel is to just run a quick pilot campaign. Like you don't even have to spend more than hundred bucks. All you're trying to do is just get a baseline and see what is your average, like your real cost. Uh, associated with this channel. So you can use that as a starting point. So if I, like you told me, Hey, I want to run Google ads for data box. First thing I'm going to do is just talking to you. I already know you guys are competing in a known category. So I'm like, okay, there's probably opportunity. Second thing is I'm going to go to Google ads keyword planner. I'm going to look up your dream keyword. I'm going to look at the top of page bid estimate to get a sense of how expensive this is. Uh, And then from there, I'll cross-reference it with your budget. So if you're 
top of page bid estimate is $60 and you're telling me you can only spend 500 bucks a month, you know, given a, let's say you had a conversion rate of 10%, which is good. It's probably going to be tough for you to make it work. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last point is once you have that, so you have the sweet spot in terms of known category CPC, the last thing you want to look at is the search volume. So how many searches per month are you getting? So in the keyword planner, you can see an estimate of how many searches you're getting. So ideally you're getting no less than hundred searches per month for that keyword. If you actually want to drive something significant, ideally it's over 200, but like hundred is the baseline. Uh, so if you have greater than hundred searches a month, your top of page, but estimate isn't too insane and you're competing in a known category, usually Google ads makes sense for you as a channel to invest in. Um, and then one other caveat I will add is there's two different ways you can approach this as a marketing leader. So on the one, you have just coverage. So even though you have like no volume at all, you just want the opportunity to show up as long as you go into it, knowing that you're not going to drive volume from this channel, but it's very much a, a coverage defense play. That's fine. And there's use cases for that, but just, you have the right expectations going in, knowing you're not going to crush your quota on just Google ads when nobody's searching your keywords, right? But if somebody did, you want to cover that. And then on the flip side of that is if you have this criteria, then you can actually scale in this channel. Got it. Right. And then that's where you can, if you, if you meet the criteria, you go through this list that you just laid out. This is awesome. Um, then you're running this test for a hundred bucks, maybe expand it to a thousand. It's working well. And then does anything happen? Should people expect anything to happen? that it gets more or less effective with, with scale or does it hold pretty tightly? Yeah. So every channel will diminish as you scale because the definition of scale is increasing your scope. And by increasing your scope, that means your targeting is getting looser and looser. So you will usually, as you scale, have a greater inefficiency. When you run that initial hundred dollar pilot, all you're really looking for, I mean, if you get a conversion, amazing, but what you're really looking for in that $100 pilot is what is your real average cost per click? So then based on that real average cost per click, you can just take your, if you already know your conversion rates. So like you can just take your organic conversion rate as a starting point, or um, if you're running paid ads on another channel and then take your CPC and your conversion rate to get a sense of like how many clicks you would need in order to generate a single lead, you know, as a baseline. So then from there, you have an idea of like, this is my cost, my estimated cost per lead. And then from there, you can backtrack and say, given this amount of search volume per month and this conversion rate, this is what I can expect from this channel. If you want to go a little bit more down the rabbit hole. Um, and then that way you have a sense, but that's why I always tell people like, take it with a grain of salt. Just even like, for example, when I wanted to run ads on TikTok, the first thing I did was like, okay, I'm going to just do a hundred dollar pilot, see what my real costs are with this channel, et cetera. From there, now that I have a sense of the numbers, I can look at my economics and then I'm like, okay, this makes sense. I want to move forward or it doesn't make sense. I'm not going to invest additional time and resources into this channel. I always say the best advertisers, they think like investors and they execute like scientists. So thinking like an investor first, knowing your numbers, getting a sense of what you're doing here. And then from there, in terms of execution, very much like a scientist formulating your hypothesis, setting up your campaigns, having your reporting in place so that you know if it worked for you or not. Okay. Awesome. I want to touch on something, dive a little deeper into an area you talked about, which was um, obviously there's, 
you know, people will be able to go to ad conversion to learn more about like, I'm guessing like setting up the technical details of a campaign and all these things. So assuming they've done this hundred dollar experiment and they've gone through the framework you laid out and, and they're setting up the technical, right? What are some, what are some basic best practices you would advise on the creative part? Like on the landing page side, I guess you could say, Yeah. Um, sure. even, even saying landing page, right? Like, does it have to be a dedicated landing page or can it be your homepage? Like, I feel like even there there's pros and cons because your homepage is generally trying to appeal to a catch-all audience. Your landing pages can obviously be hyper-targeted to match or dynamically respond to a keyword that you're targeting. So what are some of those best practices where people can maybe if they, even if they've like kind of dropped the ball earlier on the technical side, they can kind of make up some ground here by having a better uh, converting landing page. Yeah. So on the first note of the ad, so with Google search, it's responsive search ads where you have up to 15 headlines and four descriptions, and then Google will dynamically change your headlines as they see fit. The first trap you're going to want to avoid is paying attention to ad strength. Ad strength is like Google's, they give you this score basically of how well they think your ad is going to perform. It has no basis in reality in terms of like deliverability. <laughs> it's literally Google just trying to push their best practices. So one of the best practices that they recommend is that you don't pin headlines, meaning you let Google be fully in control and change your headlines and your copy, however they see fit. I learned this lesson the hard way. If people can't read your ad because it's not legible based on the combination that Google put it together, they're not going to click on it and they're not going to convert. So to avoid that, always pin your headlines so that you have legibility in your ads so that when the searcher sees it in, in the search engine, they actually know what's going on. So don't listen to ad strength. If you need to pin headlines, pin them. Second thing I would say is make sure that you're title casing your copy. This is like a very old school best practice with search ads. It just makes your copy pop more. Um, and then I always try to have like the brand name in my H1 and then some sort of like compelling statement if I can fit it depending on the company name size. So that way, even if somebody doesn't click on my ad, my brand is still top of mind and they see it. So we're kind of getting some brand recall. Um, and then the third thing I would add is most B2B companies find success with desktop versus mobile. So making sure that your copy is optimized on desktop, the H3 doesn't appear very often. So you want to make sure you have a complete statement between the H1 and the H2. I just think of the H3 as like a bonus. Like if it's so, if it shows fantastic, if it doesn't, no big deal, uh, because I already have a complete statement between my, my first headline and my second one. Um, on that note, when it comes to the landing page experience, so as well as on the ad copy, of course, if you're bidding on the Example of CRM software, you want to have your keywords in your ad copy because ad relevance is one of the three components that dictate your quality score. So it's really important that you do that. Okay. Uh, you can also use something called dynamic keyword insertion. This could be like a test where dynamic keyword insertion will automatically pull in the keyword that triggered your ad into your copy. So it kind of gives right. you some more dynamic relevance. Uh, if you're running any events, you can use... Uh, the account down timer on Google search ads, which is pretty cool. And it'll count down dynamically towards your event. So using these, these dynamic keyword insertions when applicable is helpful. And I would just test. So like one with dynamic keyword insertion, and then just one static without it, because sometimes dynamic keyword insertion actually doesn't perform as good as you think it would be. So that's on the ad side. And then in terms of the landing page, remember going back to relevance is the game organization is how you win. What Google wants is what Google wants when somebody goes to Google and they search for something, they find what they're looking for so that they have a positive experience and they come back to Google again. So with Google, people are searching for something specific. Because of that, 
landing pages usually always make more sense than a homepage because that person is already going, going to Google with the intent of finding a specific thing. So if you can answer that on the landing page, that's better than setting them to your homepage. They have a million distractions and then they need to go on a scavenger hunt <laughs> and try to yeah. figure out you know, where it is, what they're looking for. So definitely landing pages over homepages for sure. And then in terms of some best practices with the landing pages, this could be a, a whole podcast on its own. Yeah, but the, I can tell. The, the biggest thing I will call out is there's this timeless thing in usability testing and uh, conversion optimization. It's called the five-second test. Make sure your landing page passes it. So basically within five seconds of landing on your page, can I understand very clearly what you do, why you're significant, and what's the next step? You know, if you cannot answer that, very clearly without scrolling down above the fold of just landing on your page, you're already going to lose them. Um, so that's super important. Oftentimes people are trying to be clear and they're not trying to, or flip side, they're trying to be clever and not clear. Yeah. So just be super duper clear. Like for example, I actually just advised this one company that's an enterprise search tool. And the original H1 that they had was like the cure for your organizational amnesia. And then there was like some sub headline copy underneath it. Like you should assume no one's going to read anything except that H1. And that alone yeah. should already pass the five second test. So we switched it from the cure for your organizational amnesia to we help enterprises find critical documents in less than 60 seconds. Even Love if you it. don't read anything else in the page, it's already like clear. I know what you do, why you matter. And then from there, it's what's the next step, which your CTA button will tell them, get a demo, get a trial, whatever that, that main call to action you're pointing towards which is the next best practice is make sure you focus your page ideally to no more than two CTAs, ideally one primary call to action that you're trying to drive on that page. Uh, oftentimes people have like resources to case studies or blog articles, and it just, you're just adding additional opportunities to confuse the person. Like everything should build on that one call to action that you're trying to drive. Okay. Love it. Yeah. So like going back to our example, if we're, if we're targeting, like we could, you know, target like uh report software or dashboard software or something. These are like tools that the, that the product offers, but rather than linking to our existing product pages or use case pages, that's where it's better to build a dedicated one. And what we're going to do is they want to see exactly what they search reflected there. And as they scroll down where normally you're right, like you'd provide like a secondary call to action, like, oh, well, if they're not ready to sign up, you know, maybe we'll put some uh, case studies here of like companies that have used that, you know, our automated reports, something here. It's just, no, like this is automated report software or, you know, uh, or, or, you know, um, dashboard software where you can view your entire company's metrics in one place or you know view data from all the tools you use in one place and anything as they scroll down is just meant to build trust in that product and support that that statement like show how yes. it works show who's using it who looks like the searcher build trust as you go down but it, in a different way than maybe you'd approach like the wider use case like you're saying of the homepage you're trying to like anything you're doing is supporting this one sort of thesis at the top yeah, the way I think about it is you want to answer the next logical question that the visitor might have. So when they go to that page, they read the H1, what's the next logical question? How does this work? That's your first section, all right? You answer that. Then the next logical question is probably like, um, 
who uses this? That's where you can show social proof case studies. But the trap you want to avoid is the linking of like the dedicated case studies or like right. pages. Like just try to keep them there as much as you can. Um, sometimes it does make sense to have two CTAs. For example, like if like right now with like the climate we're in, a lot of people don't have budget. So like the get a demo offer isn't working as well. So for some of my clients, what we're testing is like having get a demo or free trial. So it's kind of like choose your path. Mm. Um, so there are exceptions to the rule like that. And the way we figure that out outside of just seeing conversion rates on the quantitative side is I highly recommend that you install some sort of session recording software so that you can see how users are using your page. It's fascinating. Like, um, it's always so interesting. Like when you see that, um, we have this joke that we're like, we could play like a drinking game of like every time they click on our primary CTA because <laughs> they were never <laughs> clicking on it. Um, but that's another thing to think about. But essentially everything, it, it's it's building on it, right? So it's like, what's the next logical question? Oftentimes when I made a post about this on LinkedIn, I didn't expect it to be controversial, but I was telling people to remove navigation on your landing pages because typically in my test that I've ran, when we remove navigation, we drive a greater conversion rate because we're removing distraction, right? It's right. either they convert or they hit the back button. And a lot of people were saying, well, I drive people to landing pages, but I have navigation and that works better. This is where you can test and see, right? And, and marketing at the end of the day, it's, it's always a it depends situation. But oftentimes what I've seen is when navigation outperforms not having navigation is because your landing page doesn't have enough content and it's not answering those questions. Got and it. people feel okay. obligated to go browse your site and figure it out for themselves. So if you can, and that's the advantage of a landing page. And when you remove the navigation is you can tell the story in a controlled manner. And this is where, if you know, what's the next logical question you can ask yourself even better. If you can talk to sales and sales will have a really good understanding of what are the common questions people ask. Like for example, if price is a massive deal and you have transparent pricing, put a little snippet on your landing page of what your price per user looks like, right? make it easy for the searcher. Like don't expect them to have to go on your homepage and then dig around and like, and you can see this for yourself. If you install session recording software, you can see like they'll bounce from your landing page and then they go to another, like the pricing page and they'll go to like the integrations page. So all those pages that they feel compelled to go to means you're not satisfying those objections on your landing pages. And you should probably add that as sections. Amazing. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. Um, this has been awesome. I feel like you, I feel like, uh, this is one of the most condensed answers, uh, to my, you know, to my question and to my thesis, I can understand better why some price gets inflated and driven up and why it doesn't work for certain industries. I feel like what you provided people today was like a, a really clear framework where, you know, I think now my takeaway is, yeah, clearly not everybody should use these, but everybody could test them. Everyone can go through your checklist and spend a hundred bucks and get, you know, fairly firm pricing, at least like relative to their industry or their category. Um, and if they meet the check mark and they can hit the numbers that they need to hit, given their unique sort of conversion rates or, you know, close, uh, my brain can't think today. Close percentages, uh, <laughs> yeah. close rates, <laughs> close rates. Um, then everyone could run this test and see if it's for them. And you know that that was like my big takeaway was like I just it it didn't make sense to me why I heard some people writing it off without going through some level of testing or experiment because it's like well what like what's the alternative 
I get the whole, like, obviously I'm working in demand creation, but the capturing demand side is super interesting to me. And it's wild that they'll spend, when I read those numbers, I was like, man, people are spending like, you know, hundred plus thousand dollars in like a resident SEO expert or, you know, a, a $10,000 a month on a firm. And they're not testing these. Like they're just writing them off. Cause like SEO is not free either. I don't know like where that misnomer comes from. You either um, pay with time or money, but there's always a cost. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like you've laid out a really helpful framework here. Um, and we've, you know, hopefully answered a lot of specific questions. And if there's anything remaining that listeners are having that they wish I would have asked you, go in the show notes and follow him on LinkedIn so that you can ask yourself. <laughs> I'll just say at the end of the day, you're going to hear a lot of things on LinkedIn. Everybody has an opinion, which is great. You know, I love listening to other people. I think it's really important, but you got to have, you have to test for yourself. And I always say test until proven otherwise. So I kind of take everything under as an, like a hypothesis waiting for me to validate. And if it works out great, if it doesn't, okay, well, we can check the box. And then now we know it doesn't work for us given our unique circumstance. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, Sylvia, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. And maybe we'll have to have you back to, to nerd out more on landing pages. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.